It's really amazing. Hey, just a quick bit of encouragement I want to give before we get started this morning, just in worship, just then. Um, when we were singing You're Beautiful, I just got this really uh, tangible presence of Jesus. And uh, I feel like I just try, I'll try not to cry. Um, I saw a lion, a beautiful lion at the back of this room. And uh, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I really sense this morning that he's here. And, and the reason that he's at the back is because if you're facing here and you're just worshipping in the power of the Holy Spirit, the lion is behind you. And he, he stands behind you and is bold and he's going to give you the support. I don't know if this is a word for someone in here this morning, but he, if you need to step out and you need to take a risk, he's behind you 100%. He's supporting you. He just stands bold, okay? He's strong and he's, he's going to move on your behalf. Is that okay? Yeah. Wow, Jesus is amazing, right? Um, who's, uh, who's enjoying our new theme at the moment? Who knows what our new theme is? Who knows what it's called? Quick test. No, we're doing uh, a new series. is called uh, the the Living Room. And if uh, if you're a guest here this morning, um, this is this series is exciting. It's all about uh, living a life in in constant relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right? How many of us know that the Holy Spirit is is a person? He's a person. He's not a force. He's not a it. It's it's Jesus. And so we're um, I'm really excited about this because. Uh, I don't know, I just feel like when you get intentional about giving the Holy Spirit space to move, it gets really exciting and it gets really powerful and, and things actually change, things actually move. If you give the Holy Spirit a bit of space, I'm just really excited for what God wants to do in the life of our church for this next coming week. Are you excited? I'm really excited. Okay, so uh, how many of us know that, that you know, when we get saved, um, we, we, you know, the Spirit of God comes and He lives and He dwells within us. Yes, we, we know that as Christians. But sometimes we just need an extra, we need a special touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives at times, don't we? We need a touch of God. We need a touch of the Holy Spirit. We need an outpouring. We need an anointing of God to accomplish the tasks that heaven is set for us, okay? We need something special, correct? I want to um, speak from that, from that uh, topic this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to I actually speak from the topic of asking for a favor. So turn to the person next to you and say, do me a favor. Don't ask them, actually tell them. Say, be bold, do me a favor. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, stop talking. Okay, so... Uh, Seriously, I give an inch. Um, all right, quick story. Uh, sometimes, have you noticed that when you ask someone for a favour, uh, it can either, you know, feel completely normal, you know, you're comfortable doing it. I have no problem asking Paul for a favour. Easy, okay? Um, but sometimes it can be a, a semi-awkward exchange. It can feel uncomfortable. It can feel a little bit like, I don't know that person very well. I don't know if they're going to say yes or no. Uh, how do I, you know, how do I go about this? How do I go about asking this person for a favour? It feels really weird. And then sometimes we just don't bother with it at all. We're like, okay, it feels too uncomfortable to ask this person for a favour, so I'm just not going to do it. Right? Uh, well, I had to ask someone for a favour. Uh, the other day, quick story, it's semi-relevant, just go with me. Um, I, we decided, Paul and I, after having the red car for three years, uh, we finally decided it's about time we get it serviced. Um, and so, 
<laughs> don't judge me. Huey's at the back. Huey's like the car master. He's just like, no. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, we decide, hey, let's, let's, you know, we've got a little bit of money for once, so let's use it to service the car. That'd be a good thing to do. It'd be responsible. And so we're like, Thursday's the day. Thursday's the day. We'll go and we'll ta- drop the red car off to the mechanics. And uh, so I'm driving the red car into Brunswick to drop off at Pierce Motors and, and Paul's behind me in the green car um, with the babies in the car. And then um, by the time I get to Brunswick, I'm a little bit suspicious because Paul's no longer behind me. He's no longer driving behind me. And anyway, I get a text and he's like, the green car broke down. Um, I'm like, why, Jesus, why? That doesn't even make any sense. There was nothing wrong with the green car. There wasn't even anything wrong with the red car. Anyway, so basically I've got to turn back around and go back to, uh, to Humble Pies where Paul's broken down with the babies waiting for the NRMA. But that's not even the most traumatic part of this morning, right? Because this, this is the most traumatic part. This was my plan. Our plan was to drop the car off and then go to Park Street and get my coffee and cronuts. All right, and I'm like, it's cool. I can still do that. I'll go grab the coffee and I'll go back to Paul. You know, you know, he's got to wait for the NRMA anyway. But then I realised he's got the money. <laughs> he's got the money. I'm like, this. <laughs> if you're a parent and you have two babies under two, you need your coffee in the morning. Okay, so this is actually like a dire situation. All right, you don't, you don't even understand. Krista, where are you? Amen. Amen. How many people know the Holy Spirit symbolized by oil, wine, water, and coffee? Okay, so hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. So anyway, I, uh, I decide, right, you know what, my morning's about to be ruined. <laughs> it's not an idol in my life. It's a joke. But anyway, my mor- I'm, I'm, I decide to come up with a plan. I go, I march boldly into Park Street Cafe and I go up to Mackie. She's the owner. I'm like, Mackie. I need you to do me a favor. Literally, this is what I said. I'm like, I'm like leaning over the counter. You need to do me a favor. And she's like, what is it? And I'm like, I need coffee and I have no money. And she, she, she just laughed. She's like, can you give me a challenge? Anyway, I walk out of there with two large lattes, a baby chino and two marshmallows, okay? So cherry on top, no money paid. She's like, whatever, just take it. And I'm like, man, can you imagine if I did not ask? Morning ruined. But I had the confidence to go in there and ask. Now, the reason, okay, the reason I felt comfortable asking for a favour and going... I wouldn't go into other cafes in Brunswick and, and just sort of demand free stuff. That's not... I don't think the answer would be yes if I did that. But I have relationship, Paul and I, we're good friends with the owners of Park Street Cafe. So because we had good relationship with them and, and I was like 99% sure that she was going to say yes. That's what gave me the confidence to go in there and go, hey, I need coffee and you need to fix this problem for me right now, okay? So uh, when we have relationship with someone, it's easier to ask for a favour, all right? It doesn't feel awkward. It doesn't feel uncomfortable when we have relationship and when we can anticipate their response is going to be yes, we're much more willing to ask. Is that true? Is that true this morning? All right, so I want to quickly look at a a girl in the Bible uh, who has no problem asking for a favour, all right? So I actually am going to preach from the Bible this morning and not about coffee. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'm I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of Judges 1, all right, Uh, starting at verse 12. And uh, it says, And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa, Aksa, everybody say Aksa, 
Aksa, <laughs> great name. I'll name my next child Aksa. Okay, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and, attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. Okay, he conquered it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. All right, one day when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Actually, if it's more correctly translated, it says she told her husband. She just told him. She's like, do this. All right, so she told her uh, husband to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, verse 15, she replied, do me a special favour. Do me a special favour. Since you've given me the land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and the lower springs. All right, I want to share from this passage this morning. Um, now, just a little bit of background, a recap so we know where we're at. Caleb is the father and he's currently the guy in charge at the moment, all right? And so he wants this uh, particular town uh, to be conquered. Okay, and, and I'm a little bit suspicious. I'm like, are you just throwing out this challenge because you want a worthy son-in-law? But I don't know. That's just my sort of thing. But he's like, you need to, whoever is brave enough and obedient enough and sacrificial enough, basically, um, is going to take this town and as a reward, you will win my daughter. So he actually regards his daughter so precious. He loves her so much. He's put a really high price on her head, okay? And he's like, you are not good enough, basically, for my daughter unless you conquer this entire town possessed by enemy troops. That's what's happening right now, okay? So Othniel steps up. He accomplishes the mission and he takes the land and Caleb gives Aksa, his daughter, to him as a bride, as a reward. So she becomes a bride in this story. It's a very nice story. And, and as a wedding gift, she asks for a piece of land. She goes to her new husband and she's like, ask my dad for a piece of land as our wedding gift. It's pretty good, pretty good wedding gift, I would say. It's a pretty big wedding gift. And so I want to look at um, this girl, Aksa, this morning, all right? I like her. Uh, I, I think she's kind of pushy. She kind of, she, she's like bold and she doesn't give up until she gets away. It's like when Paul and I, you know, if he wants to watch a documentary that's boring, I'm like, MasterChef, it's happening, all right? This is just what's happening this morning and I will get my way, okay, if he knows what's good for him. So, Aksa receives this gift, this piece of land from her father. Now, she comes to the realisation that this wedding gift, all right, is actually quite useless, okay. Unfortunately, it's, it's actually a desert, all right. So, it's without water. It's this dry, barren, unproductive land and she's like, thanks, Dad, for the, uh, for the wedding gift. There's nothing like a wedding gift that is a little bit... Lame, okay. You know, I <laughs> just remembered Paul and I, worst wedding gift we received. <laughs> it wasn't from anyone in here. On our wedding gift table at the ceremony, so, no, at the reception, someone put a piece of two day old cake in a container as a wedding gift because I think they just finished work or something and they're like, oh my gosh, I have nothing to give. So I'll just put this wedding cake. Okay, if you don't have a gift, don't put stale food. Like, that is so funny. But yeah, nothing like a. Uh, one of those, a bad wedding gift. Anyway, so she receives, you know, something almost as bad as stale cake. She gets a big piece of land with nuts. She can't do anything with it. So um, she goes to her dad. She goes to him and she's like, I'm going to make this situation work. She takes action. And um, we are, you know, we're, when we look at this story, we can, we can spiritually apply it uh, in many ways. So I want to... 
I want to look at the way Aksa interacts with her father for a little bit. Is that okay this morning? I think we can learn from her. I think she's a great girl. Okay, so the first thing Aksa does is she confronts her father. When she realises she has a need, when she is asking for a spring, she realises she needs water, she confronts her father, not the other way around. So she hops off her donkey, okay, she gets on her donkey, she goes to her father, she gets off her donkey. And you know what is interesting about these passages? Before the Bible even records her asking, he's already there saying, what can I do for you? Before she can even put out her request, before she can even say, do me a favor, her father is already saying, before the words can even come out of her mouth, he's saying, what can I do for you? And when I was reading uh, this passage this week, I just got such a sense that our Father, our Heavenly Father is waiting for us to come to Him. For He knows what we ask before we even ask it, right? He, He knows what we need, but He is ready and waiting and willing to give out to those who ask. I feel like the Father right now, like in the life of our church at the moment, the Father is waiting for some people to come. He's waiting and He's willing and He's ready. He's watching alertly for his sons or daughters to come to him and ask okay he's ready okay he wants to say what can I do for you right if you come to the father right James James the James famously says you know draw near to God and he will draw near to you there's this element where we must take responsibility and draw near to God and when we draw near to the father He will say, what can I do for you? How can I move on your behalf? Where can I breathe in your life? What can I do for you? Right? And our relationship and our our prayer life, I believe, is shaped by our perspective of the Father. That's why I want to share on this this morning. I think our the way we interact with God and our our prayer life and, and the way we do relationship with God is shaped by what we anticipate his response will be, we will feel uncomfortable asking if we don't think he's going to say yes, right? If, but if we, if we could grasp the fact that the Father's ready to say, what can I do for you? I think it would change and shape the way we pray. Is that all right this morning? I think sometimes God will give us a desert, okay, in order to draw us near to him Because what he really wants to do is give us the springs, okay? But he gives us a desert sometimes to draw us in so that we will ask. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Jesus. All right, so the second thing she does, I love the attitude of Aksa. She gets off her donkey. Now, this, (laughs) I love this. She's more stubborn than the donkey she's riding on, okay? Because she, it's like, she's obviously travelled to her father. And she's not doing some drive-by request here, all right? She's not like, all right, I'm just going to stay on my donkey and if you say no, I'll just keep going she's making a statement here okay so she comes to her father and she stops and she becomes stationary she's still before her dad and she makes a physical statement gets off her donkey as if to say I'm not going anywhere until I receive I'm I have a need and I need you to fill that request. And so I'm not, I'm staying here, Dad, until I get an outcome. She positions herself to receive. She positions herself before the Father for an outcome. Okay? Is that all right? So she's not doing uh, drive-by requests here. Okay? She's positioning herself. I love it. And, and uh, she, it's She's relentless, okay? It's like when we pray, we need to pray with um, 
persistence. I really sense that um, th- there's an element in our prayer life. When we, when we need a touch of God, when we need an outcome from God, when we need him to move on our behalf, we don't just pray once, okay? We need to position ourselves and say, I'm not leaving your presence. I'm not leaving the prayer room until I get an outcome. We must be persistent. You don't just ask once. If you want a touch of the Holy Spirit upon your life, don't just ask once, You've got to ask and you've got to ask and you've got to ask, okay? Eden is fantastic at this, right? But not in reference to the Holy Spirit. Recently, Paul and I decided we are no longer going to give Eden treats in between mealtimes because she's getting really fussy with her meals, really picky, and I don't feel like putting down 10 different cuisines, you know, to satisfy her at lunchtime or dinner time or breakfast time. So I'm like... I would say, amen, and all the mothers said. <laughs> and uh, I was reading a book, toddler-wise, thanks, Jit. Um, I was reading the book, and the book's like, don't give your toddler snacks and treats in between mealtimes because it creates a fussy eater. Hallelujah. And I go, okay, new plan, Paul. This is the new deal. No treats in between mealtimes, no snacks, you know, break that habit. I set my face like flint, and Paul's like, yep. I'm with you, support this, this is the new plan, this is the new thing, uh, Eden's just going to deal with it and we're going to, you know, break this fussy eater thing. So we're like, okay, this is the deal from now on. Anyway, 10 minutes in, treat, 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 it's relentless, like it doesn't stop and I'm like, no, no Eden, no treats, new plan, treat, 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 she doesn't understand, she treat, 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 and it's, wow, volume doesn't decrease, like, just as, just consistent, like, I admire that consistency, it's amazing, and I'm like, no, 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 Eden, this is a thing, oh, I can't even explain to you, treat, treat, and then finally, I'm just like, you know, 20 minutes into this new plan, I'm like, have a treat, have strawberry, I broke, she broke me, she conquered me, I'm like, have strawberries, have dates, have popcorn, have biscuits, uh, have it all, have everything, just stop asking me for a treat, okay, I feel frazzled, my nerves are frayed, I cannot cope with this anymore, so she's got this relentless persistence in requesting me uh, for a treat, okay, I think we can learn a lot from Eden this morning, well, she's not heckling me like she usually does, it's amazing, but um, when we ask the Father for a touch of the Holy Spirit, he's not like me, okay? He's not like, oh my gosh, you're so annoying, stop asking me. God's actually the perfect parent, okay? So we, he actually wants us to be persistent and relentless in asking for a favour, okay? Aksa was not leaving until she received what she needed, okay? She was assured that uh, the springs were there. She was assured that there was a water source around somewhere and she was assured that she was going to get it. Her father could give it and she was going to get it and she wasn't leaving her father's side until she got what she needed. Is that all right? Okay, she wasn't afraid to ask for more. And and I just want to touch on really quickly uh, before we move on. She, uh, she was asking out of a need, right? She was asking out of a need. She says, verse 15, Since you've given me the land and then again, give me also the springs of water. I don't think she's... Uh I don't think she's ungrateful for the wedding gift, actually. She's not bitter like I am about stale cake. She, she, she recognises the need here. She's like, thank you, thank you for this piece of land. 
but I need more. I believe she can see, she, can, she has vision for the land. She can see the destiny over the land. She can see all that the land could be. You know, she can farm it. She can live off it. It can attract people, people from other places. But she recognizes that there's a need here for water. It's actually impossible for any of that to happen without water. It's going to be a completely unproductive piece of land. So the springs here are going to be the game changer. They're going to change everything. If she gets a bit of water, it's going to change everything. It's going to change her life, actually. It's going to make this desert a habitable place. And, and so she goes to her father and it's out of this attitude she asks, okay? She's not asking with, with selfish ambition. She's not asking with ulterior motives. She's purely asking out of a place of need because she wants this land to work. She wants it to work and she needs the springs in order for that to happen, okay? How many times do we have something, right? We're, and we can see the destiny in it and over it and on it. We can see all it could be. We can see, we can see what God wants to do with it, but we need a touch of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. Yeah, this is the role of the Holy Spirit. I think we need to understand this morning. The role of the Holy Spirit is to actually bring life where there is no life. He makes things that are purposeless and unproductive. He makes them fruitful. Okay, he takes things that are barren and he makes them fertile. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus and shine the spotlight on him. And uh, this is what he does. Okay, so... Uh, we need to, when we come to the Father, we need to acknowledge, yes, thank you for what I have. Thank you for what I have in my hand. But I need, do me a favor, do me a special favor and give me a special touch of God, a special touch of the Holy Spirit, a special anointing here, a special outpouring. Open up the gates of heaven and pour out. All right, we need to be bold. I want to encourage us in here this morning. We can be bold and forthright before the Father because this is what I loved most about when I read this passage. This is what I love about this girl. She's so bold. She's not like, hey, can you do me a favor? She's like, do me a favor. Do me a special favor. Do me a special favor. I have, she has no problem asking, okay? She's bold. Uh, she's courageous. And, and this is the reason I think that she asks this way, the reason I think that she feels comfortable being so bold and so confident is because she's asking as a daughter she's asking as a daughter and if, if we take away anything this morning I want us to take away this Aksa does not come to the father she comes to her father all right Take that away this morning. She doesn't come to the Father. She doesn't come to a stranger. She's coming to her Father. In fact, the very name Aksa in Hebrew literally just means daughter of Caleb. All right, in Hebrew culture, when they actually named a child, it was a prophetic declaration over their life. Okay, this is going to be your prophetic destiny. So her destiny and her purpose and her identity and who she is is literally just being his daughter. Okay? It's being his daughter and out of that place and that level of intimacy and relationship and closeness, she asks and requests the touch of the Holy Spirit. She asks for a special favour. And my God, if we got this church, if we got that who we are 
who we're purposed to be, who we're designed to be, who we are, our identity, our purpose is wrapped up in being his son or daughter. It would change the way we pray. And you know what? It would change the way we receive. Because if you pray like a son or daughter, you'll receive like a son or daughter. And if you receive like a son or daughter, you'll actually start to live like a son or daughter, okay? We've got to learn to pray. I know in my own life that I think, I believe that some prayers of mine have gone unanswered by God because I've not prayed as a daughter. I've not prayed, I've not prayed from a place of, God, you want to you pour out. You, wanna, you want to answer my prayer. I haven't prayed from a place of intimate, close relationship, authentic, true relationship with my father. I've just I've been guilty of so many drive-by prayers where you just sort of you're just like oh in and out sort of thing like oh god I kind of want this I don't think you're going to say yes so I'm just going to keep moving anyway, right? Or like I don't want to give you the time or time of day because well I don't have enough time, all right? I've got a lot of things to do, so I'm just going to you know throw out a quick prayer and sort of hope for the best. But I truly believe that there's there's a lot of prayers that just want to tumble out of heaven, okay? But the Lord waits for those who give him the position and the time and the honour, the time of day, because he so seeks, this is it, he seeks true, real, deep, authentic relationship with us. And this is what this series is all about. It's living life in authentic and deep and intimate relationship with our God, okay? It's going to change the way we live if we live if we live in a deep, close relationship in the presence of the Father. And if we learn to ask from that place, I believe we're going to see some prayers answered. I believe we're going to see the Holy Spirit pour out. I believe we're going to see the Holy Spirit pour out upon our church in a way we haven't seen before. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So she asks as a son or daughter. And uh, I love Caleb's response, okay, because he gives her the upper and the lower springs. She just asks for a spring of water. He gives her the upper and the lower springs. All right, and some people have, have taken some commentaries on that. They go, oh, she got double the blessing. She got twice as much as what she asked for. That's amazing. That's what God does. But I actually think it's even better than that because Caleb actually gave her all there was to give. He gave her everything. He gave her exceedingly above and beyond what she could even ask or think. She hit the jackpot, okay? So she's got the upper and the lower springs. She's got everything. She's got got a bounty of water. Okay, this is amazing. The father said to her, I'll give you everything because you've asked. Because you've asked, I'm going to give you all I have, all there is to give. Yeah. And do you know what everything is? Everything is the Holy Spirit. Jesus has said, I'm going to give you everything and everything is the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the Spirit of Jesus. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And he's like, I'm going to give you the best gift that you could ever receive. I'm going to give you myself. You don't need anything else if you have the Holy Spirit. And, you know, he says, I'm going to pour out the living water and give you the living water. And, and you know, Jesus he picks up the term living water in, in the New Testament. It's a very familiar story uh, to, to most of us, I think. The woman at the well. He comes to the Samaritan woman. And I just want to look at this quickly. Uh, because he comes to this woman and we all, 
We all know the story in John chapter 4. Remember her, Jesus goes to the well and she's there and, and he asks her for a drink. I think, I think he's just playing with her a little bit like, you know, like he can get his own water, come on. But he, he asks her for a drink, okay. And uh, she's shocked. She's, she's shocked. What does she say? We're at verse, verse 9. It says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Okay, in these days, Jews and Samaritans, they don't even walk on the same side as the street. Okay, they, they, don't, they don't come into contact. They don't talk to each other. This is completely countercultural what Jesus is doing right now. This is unbelievable. She's shocked. She's like, you're a man and you're a Jewish man. Why are you talking to me? And not just for that, but she's a complete outcast in her community. So she's shocked that anyone is just coming to talk to her, okay? And verse 10, Jesus says this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is talking about the living water here. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's, it just blows my mind that God puts on flesh and he, he walks on the earth. And out of all the people he could have chosen, right, to have this lengthy dialogue with about the living waters of the Holy Spirit. He chooses this individual. It's so bizarre. If you knew the culture of the day, you would know it is so bizarre that Jesus has chosen her to have this conversation with. It's crazy. Like if you compare her to the other woman, if you compare her to Aksa, I can understand why Caleb gave Aksa springs of water. I can understand why he talked about that and why he gave her what she needed. Because she's, she's a new bride. She's a bold, beautiful woman. Okay, she's, she, you know, she's got clout. Hey. Yes, sorry, it's in... Mm-hmm. It says you can be idle to go work for the gods of hell, and, and I've been buying. Um, sorry, did I have to get up and take this off now? Yep. I've been playing Jesus Nazareth. I go, I'm alright. It's fucking Jesus Christ and Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, Hallelujah. Why don't you give Jesus a shout of praise right now, everybody? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I. Yep, you're right, mate. Okay, so yes, just to clarify, if you didn't catch that, Aksa is in one Judges. You can also find her in uh, Joshua chapter 15, I believe. So moving right along. Um, So Aksa, this woman is the complete opposite of this Samaritan woman. She's like, she's bold and she's beautiful. And the Samaritan woman is just, you couldn't get two more extremes if you tried. Okay, so This Samaritan woman, she's not a bride, okay? She's actually as far from a bride as you can get. She's actually five times divorced and uh, she's having a fling with the current guy she's with, okay? So she's definitely, she's just, she's not a bride, okay? This is not where she's at. She's not brave like Aksa, you know? We love Aksa because she's she's brave and she's forthright. She's confident, okay? She's got guts. She comes before her father. She's got no problem with it. But this woman at the well, she's not brave. She's not brave. She's... 
She's actually there in the middle of the day because she's avoiding people. She's avoiding confrontation and she's ashamed because she's an outcast in her community. People don't want to talk to her. They, they, they've shamed her and, and she's, they actually come to the well in the morning when it's cool. But she's going in the very heat of the day, in the middle of the day, just to avoid them altogether. Avoid people hassling her and, you know, bothering her and just avoid the shame. She's not brave. She's not a confident person. This is, this is a broken individual, this girl. All right, and uh, I believe Aksa, she, I, believe, I believe she knew who her God was and she knew who her father was, okay? She had that relationship, but I don't think this Samaritan woman, she, she couldn't recognise God if he was standing right in front of her, which he was in the flesh. She did not recognise Messiah. She was completely spiritually blind. And uh, she wasn't loved. This woman wasn't loved by her community, right? She wasn't a loved woman. Aksa was loved. Like her father thought she was so precious. He loved her so much that he put such a high price on her head. He's like, you have to conquer an entire town if you want to be good enough to marry my daughter, okay? And then Othniel loved her so much that he went and he conquered an entire town to win her as a bride, okay? So this woman is loved, but the Samaritan woman, she's an outcast. The Bible doesn't even give us her name, now, she does have a name. There's extra, extra biblical documents that actually say uh, that her name was Potini. And she was actually a, a well-known woman, apparently, who, who did actually preach before kings. And so she, after this encounter she had with Jesus, a Samaritan woman. So she did have a name. She would have had a name, but the Bible does not mention her name. It's almost as if it does it on purpose to just mark her as an outcast and to paint a picture of how she's regarded by other people. She's, compl- she's a nobody. She has, her name isn't even worth knowing. She's a reject. She's an outcast. She's broken. Okay, she's, she's, she's a sinner and she's living in sin. All right, she literally has zero qualifications to receive anything from anyone, let alone God. All right, zero qualifications. And it's this person. Oh, my gosh, the gospel is so crazy. It's this person that Jesus chooses to have an encounter with. Oh, my goodness. It's this person that he goes to all the trouble to go to and talk about springs of living water. And we go, oh, my gosh, Jesus, he's being so countercultural here, okay? He's crossing political and social and cultural boundaries. He's, he's breaking down the walls between man and woman and Jew and Samaritan and la, la, la. And, yes, he is doing all that. But I think he's doing so much more than just crossing some political and social and cultural boundaries, okay? He's doing so much more than being countercultural. I believe, I believe, he's making one of the most scandalous statements in the history of mankind. And I know that's a big call, but this is, what he's doing is actually scandalous. And I'll tell you why. Because this woman, okay, this Samaritan woman is a picture of broken humanity. She is a character sketch of broken, rejected, sinful humanity, okay? Cowardly, not brave, not a bride, not faithful to God, not anything, just completely uh, enemies of God. She's a character sketch of this, right? And so by Jesus coming to her and saying, if you knew the generosity of God, you'd ask me for fresh living water. He's saying to this individual, this individual, I want to give you the upper and the lower springs. I want to give you 
everything that I have. I want to give you all of it. I want to give you the Holy Spirit to this person, this reflection of broken humanity. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying no one is disqualified from receiving the Holy Spirit. No one. Acts 2, my spirit shall pour out on sons and daughters and slaves and masters. He's making this crazy statement that no one is excluded from receiving. If only they would ask. If only they would ask, I will give you my Holy Spirit. And all the religious people go, oh, no. Right? The disciples come back and they are shocked. Okay? They, they don't have the guts to say it, but they're thinking it. The Bible says that. They're like, why? Jesus, this is so bad for your reputation. Jesus, why are you talking to this sinner, to this reject, to this outcast, to this broken woman? She's like, why are you doing this? It's like if you were Jesus's, I don't know, like ambassador and, you know, well, you are. But if you, you know, if he had to look after his reputation, he would just have the worst job in the world, okay? If you were managing his reputation, you'd just be like, Jesus, not again. Like, why are you doing this? You're making it so hard for people to think you're the Messiah. You're not supposed to interact with people like this, okay? So they're shocked and they're like, oh, Jesus, why, why are you even interacting with this individual? But the gospel is shocking to religion and there will always be religious mindsets and religious spirits and religious people who want to say that you can't ask God for the Holy Spirit. If you're living in sin, if you look at your track record. Look at the way you're living right now, okay? You've got a black mark on your slate, okay? Why don't you make some improvements, all right? Have some respect, make some improvements, and then maybe ask my Jesus for the Holy Spirit. But until then, just stay away. How dare you even ask God, all right? I believe this is religious. It's a religious mindset because Jesus just walks straight over that and he, he goes to the unwed, he goes to the outcast, he goes to the broken, and he offers up his Holy Spirit. He doesn't, he doesn't care about her track record. He doesn't care that she's had... Five, he does care, but it doesn't come into the equation that she's had five husbands and she's still living in this sin. She's, she's, a, full, she's a sinner. And still, he says, if you ask me, I'll give it to you. If you ask me for the Holy Spirit, you'll receive it, right? It's shocking. It's shocking. And she says, verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming here to draw water. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep drawing water. I don't want to have to work this hard just to make everything work. Give me this water that lasts forever. Give me this powerful stuff. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but give me, I want what you're talking about. I don't completely understand, but I want that. I want that. Give me that water. All right. Hey, I'm going to finish soon. Musicians can come up if they want to, but one more thing I want to add is that when you have a true and authentic encounter with the Holy Spirit, change takes place, right? Transformation takes place. Sometimes, like, people come and, and they have an encounter, you know, they fall under the power of God, but they might walk out unchanged. But I believe if you have a true, authentic interaction with the Holy Spirit and really allow Him in and to do His work, He will permeate every area of your being and make transformation happen. Change must take place because this is how the Holy Spirit works. This woman, the Samaritan woman, proof. She changed on the spot. 
She transfigured. She transformed from one, from one individual to another. She just became a completely different woman on the spot. Right? She, all it took with, was one encounter. She went from not being able to recognize Christ. Recogn- she had no spiritual vision. She had no ability to recognize God. And suddenly Jesus reveals himself to her in one moment. And he goes, I am he. And she recognizes God. She's like, could this be the Messiah? She becomes bold, right? She went from being this timid, ashamed woman. And one encounter, one interaction with Jesus and she is filled with all the boldness of Aksa because she drops her water jug after this this interaction and she runs to her hometown and she preaches her testimony to her hometown and people get saved. She preaches her testimony to the very people who rejected her and made her an outcast. That is supernatural boldness right there. And you know what? She, was, she became loved. I believe in this moment that she became a bride, that Jesus came and he made her a bride. Yeah, he took a broken, a broken individual. <laughs> you know where Moses found his bride at a well? Isaac found his bride at a well. Jacob found his bride at a well. And, and they're at Jacob's well. And Jesus comes to this completely broken person. And he makes her his bride. She becomes a bride of Christ in this moment. And I want us to realise this morning that Jesus is the greater Othniel. Do you realise where we land in this story, church? He, he came. And he didn't conquer a town. Do you realize what a high price you have on your head? He, he came and he conquered. He conquered the powers. He waged a battle against the powers of sin and hell in order to win you as his bride. You are his reward. You are his prize. You are his portion. He has won you. And you know what? He made us a bride so that we as sons and daughters can come before the Father boldly. He he qualified us to march boldly and confidently and unashamedly into the throne room of grace and to stand before our Father and ask for a touch of the Holy Ghost any time we want. Any time we want. Any time of the day or night. Any minute we can come before the Father and ask for a touch of the Holy Spirit. We can say, Father, give me a touch of the Holy Spirit in my life right now. I need a touch of the Holy Spirit in my heart. I need a touch of God in these circumstances. I need the healing of God to pour out on my body. We can come before the Father because we are qualified. We are now qualified. One encounter with the Holy Spirit changes everything. And you know, I want us to stand this morning. Let's stand. We're gonna we're gonna go into worship. But um I want to let some people in here know this morning that all it takes is one encounter with the Holy Spirit. If you need a touch of the Holy Spirit this morning, let me tell you that all it takes is one touch, one touch of the Holy Spirit to change everything, okay? It doesn't matter what your track record is. It doesn't matter what your sins are, what your failures are, what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how you're currently living. You can come and you can ask for a touch of the Holy Spirit in your life and on your heart and in your situation. And you know what? One touch, the Holy Spirit can accomplish more in a moment than we can in a lifetime. Amen. You can ask. And I want some people to 
ask this morning. He has done the work to qualify you. So come and ask. And I just see a picture right now. I can see a picture of a well, lots of wells. And I believe this morning that there are people in here who need a touch of God. They need a touch of the Holy Spirit. Who wants a refresher this morning? Amen. Who wants a refreshment of the Holy Spirit? Well, get off your donkey. Come forward in worship. I'll make some space here, but come on, guys. Let's get off our donkey. Let's make a physical statement and come. Let's come to the well. Come on, come to the well. Because Jesus wants to meet you at the well. And He wants to offer you up the upper and the lower springs. He wants to give you everything that there is to give. He wants to pour out the Holy Spirit this morning. And if you want that, if you want it, then come. If you want the Holy Spirit, if you want a touch of God, if you need change to be brought about, come on, do you want change? Do you need God to breathe in your life? Do you need Him to breathe on your circumstances? Do you need the heaven to open up and pour out upon you healing? He is wisdom. He is strength. He is He is everything you need. So whatever you need, come. Come and ask this morning. Make a statement. Position yourself before the Father to receive because that's what He wants to do. Amen. Let's worship.